places in the country where uh, you're underwater, places in the country where you're under snow, places in the country where the weather's absolutely gorgeous. Wherever you're listening to us right now, we appreciate it. Indeed. The Armstrong and Getty Show, trying to present a uh, slightly different brand of talk radio. Mm hmm. For better or worse. Mm. Depends on the day, really. So, uh, Como TV, Seattle. One of the great cities of America. Indeed. Like uh, many great cities these days, a troubled city. But Como TV has gone against the grain. They've produced a documentary entitled Seattle is Dying. And we're going to play you a few clips uh, from it and, and discuss. I remember going to Seattle the first time 15 years ago, maybe, and thinking, why doesn't everybody live here? Right. This is fantastic. Bit of a lack of sunshine, some might answer, but it's an absolutely wonderful city or was. But the point of this uh, documentary is that, and we've talked about this for a long time, and anybody who lives particularly in a, a, a bigger metro area in a blue state or, well, you know, most big metro cities are blue areas even within red states. You understand the idea of when what I often describe as utopian, we all should love each other policies run up against the hard realities of human nature. The great liberal bastion of Berkeley, California, for instance, where you know, you're practically a hero for being a bum. So soft were the policies on homeless that's folks. That's a very good way to put it. I've, right. I've been in city council meetings where it... It definitely feels like that's the vibe. Right. They're a hero. You're a bad person. Right. For having a job or having a business or paying your taxes or whatever. They've run up against the reality so hard that even berserkly California has said, all right, you got to get off business doorsteps. You can't be pooping on the street. You can't camp here. This is insane. You can't frighten people. Right. Right. Yeah. But this is a brilliantly done documentary, and we're going to play you a handful of clips. Uh, go ahead, Sean, number one. Let me ask you something. What if Seattle is dying, and we don't even know it? This story is about a seething, simmering anger that is now boiling over into outrage. It is about people who have felt compassion, yes, but who no longer feel safe, no longer feel like they are heard, no longer feel protected. It is about lost souls who wander our streets, untethered to home or family or reality, chasing a drug which in turn chases them. It is about the damage they inflict on themselves to be sure, but also on the fabric of this place where we live. This story is about a beautiful jewel that has been violated and a crisis of faith amongst a generation of Seattleites falling out of love with their home. Wow, a lot of that sounds like what I said at a city council meeting for my own town, where I said, is this a better place to live now than it was 20 years ago or worse? Who could possibly say it's better right? or, 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 or not getting worse? And people like you are accused of having a lack of compassion. Here is a woman, a frequent victim of crime, who was seeking uh, some, well, redress of her grievances in front of the Seattle City Council. There has evolved a profound disconnect, and rarely has it been more vividly laid out than in this exchange. If property crime is committed, violence is committed, you need to call 911, and the police... You've lost all credibility when you say... You said two words. You said, call 911. 
Do you understand that the police have told us to vote you all out so that they can do their jobs? And you're telling us to call 911? You're smiling. You think it's funny? You think it's funny the way we're living? The idea that if policies surround you, the result of the policies are being surrounded by lawlessness, criminality, drug abuse, needles, parks you can't go to with your kids, that look, call the police, as opposed to changing the governance, it's, it's, it's obscene. It's terrible. My wife, in our situation, called the police as recently as it was like a month ago now, I guess, and the police say we can't do anything. There's nothing we can do. If you have to rely... Threatening children. This guy was threatening children. We just we can't do anything. Right. Current laws, statutes, nothing happened. Right. You've got to appeal to an armed representative of the government to go to a park, and you on the city council are suggesting that's okay. Call that armed government official, and he'll come with you. Really? And the citizens are getting whipsawed. The, the, the government people are telling them to call the cops. The cops are telling them to go to the, the government people. And... and co- Something has to be done. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, I'll, I understand what the cops are saying. There needs to be enough people on your side of this issue showing up to city council meetings saying, we're not putting up with this anymore to move it that direction. Because the other thing the cops are saying is, if I do what you want me to do, which is plainly the right thing to do, I will be out of my job. Right. And I will be replaced by a police chief who won't do what you want me to do. One of the frustrating, and I've been involved in this for the first time in my life, which is nothing to be proud of, actually been involved in, you know, the making of policies or or, or getting involved in, in movements and that sort of stuff. It's frustrating that democracy is so slow. It's really, really slow. It takes a long time for anger, will, energy, whatever to build up around something to where you get enough people to uh, to change things. Mm-hmm. And that can be very frustrating. Yep. Next clip, please. Let's look for a moment at property crimes for the 20 biggest cities in the country. New York City in 2017 had 1,448 property crimes per 100,000 residents. Los Angeles was just over 2,500. Chicago, 3,263. And look at Seattle, 5,258. The only major city with a worse number is San Francisco, which is dealing with the same problems for the same reasons that we are. They topped the 6,000 mark. You know, that's incredible. And I, I remember the first time I was ever in Seattle when I thought, why doesn't everybody live here? I thought, because I love San Francisco. And I thought, this is, this is like San Francisco without the homeless people. Mm-hmm. That's the way it felt to me almost 20 years ago. Right. I know it's not that way now, but uh, welcome to San Francisco when you, when you go to Seattle. I think it's worth repeating a couple of those numbers. San Francisco now has four times the property, property crime uh, or property crime of uh, New York. Four times the property crime. Seattle, almost four times the property crime. Remember last year when we were at that talk radio convention, spent three days in New York? I think I saw one street person. And I went to a lot of places. Yeah. How many street people do you see in Seattle or San Francisco if you're there for a couple of days for a convention? And the great... It'd be hundreds and hundreds. The great, realistic, solid, beautiful city of of San Diego is saying, uh-oh, we're on a slope that feels a little slippery, too, heading that direction, and and, and that's correct. Uh, yeah, that's something. 
four times the property crime in your unicorn riding compassion over realism west coast cities uh, we have one more clip it's a little lengthy though i tell you what why don't we grab a quick break i love that this is a questionnaire of police officers not those the brass on camera having to answer to the city council it's the foot soldiers if you will on the street with their perceptions should be asked as a question more often is where you live getting better or worse and be honest about that and i tell you what i'm going to bring it down to a fundamental psychological analysis Ooh. of why this is happening and a lot of people are going to hate me for it joe is mr rubber meets the road but a lot of you already hate me, joe's so. mr brass tax exactly what are you using over there aluminum tax stay like tuned an to the armstrong and getty show Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Vice President Mike Pence is staying at the lodge at Pebble Beach. And uh, our fabulous Monterey affiliate thinks it's possibly just so he can listen to the Armstrong and Getty show. Mm. You know, I hate to blow my own horn. Uh, Coming up, a discussion of the hot, hot topic of the Electoral College and the movement to allow 16-year-olds to vote. We will be taking those arguments and reducing them to the pulp that they are. Well, it's phony. You're being led by the nose like a pig. Is it phony? It's phony. We'll discuss. It's phony. We I, have discussed. I hope it's phony. Well, the powerful people making the argument, they're phonies. A lot of people honestly believe this stuff and, and certainly will treat you with respect. But the politicians are phonies. So we've been diving into this absolutely brilliant hour-long a documentary from uh, Como, K-O-M-O uh, News in Seattle called Seattle is Dying. I'm surprised that this exists, having heard a little bit of it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, that's an edgy thing to do. It is absolutely against the grain. So, I mean, and, it, it's, it's I, I tire of the expression, the elephant in the room, but it's the elephant in the room mm-hmm. for a lot of cities, especially on the West Coast, that just nobody at the high levels wants to discuss in any real way. It's always just about the compassion and more this and more that. Program-wise. Right, right. Uh, One more clip and then a little uh, psychoanalysis. We put out some generic questionnaires, which were filled out by completely anonymous police officers. Their responses are eye-opening, frightening, and at times sad. One officer wrote simply, Yes, I am frustrated because I'm a law enforcement officer that is told not to enforce the law. Another wrote, It's simple. Start keeping criminals in jail. Judges need to stop giving them ridiculously low sentences, and prosecutors need to stop accepting cheesy plea deals and actually lock people up when they commit a crime. That's all it would take to drastically lower Seattle's crime rate. Another officer said, people come here because it's called free Seattle, and they believe if they come here they will get free food, free medical treatment, free mental health treatment, a free tent, free clothes, and will be free of prosecution for just about everything. And they're right. It didn't used to be that way. Law enforcement officers used to be able to enforce the laws. 
This officer continues, In the last five years, there has been a culture shift and it started with the legislature decriminalizing felonies and dumping convicts onto the streets. And then there is this. An officer says, Even if quality warrant arrests are made, the judicial system sees fit to let them out of jail within a couple of days, often the next day. Why are we risking our lives to take felony-level fugitives into custody if they're just going to be released? Prosecutor's office and judges alike seem to be drinking all the Kool-Aid, causing a huge disconnect and a broken system with absolutely no teeth. Well, well I've, I've experienced that myself also. If the guy that, f- that was screaming, I'm going to kill and rape you to my children, if I wasn't on the radio and had talked about that, I think he would have just gotten out the next day. Right. And been, and been bumping around. And now he's in jail for a significant length of time because he's a very dangerous person. Right. But who's he hurt many people. Over time and been let out, just like that explanation right there talks about it. Well, that point about cops going into an incredibly risky, dangerous situation, apprehending a felon and the rest of it, and then for what? So they spend a day and a half right. in jail? Why would they risk their lives? Well, on the first part about that, free Adel. A lot yeah. of your, a lot of cities have this problem, and, and and it's a question that needs to be addressed. Okay, you're offering more free stuff. We're just ending up with more homeless people and a lower quality of life for the taxpaying citizens that live here. That it's not working. Well, and listen, you've and got then the to... answer is always more programs. Right, right. You've got to understand that there are plenty of. Truly pathetic homeless people who need help. There are also huge numbers of junkies, idiots, losers, just scum, just people with no character. And you have to differentiate between those two groups. If you spread out free stuff to just everybody, including the junkies and the losers and the idiots, you're just going to get more and more and more of them. If you're just tuning in in the last segment, this documentary pointed out that San Francisco has quadrupled the property crime rate of... New York City, Seattle, three and a half times the property crime rate, um, and and it's you know double triple L.A.'s crime rate. So New York is not unique. Um, absolutely astonishing levels of ugliness being permitted, and here's here's why, and this is why America needs conservatives and progressives. Just as I believe most homes are much better off with a dad and a mom. And, and, and a person, a human being, needs both compassion and discipline. I don't care if you're running a city, if you're raising a child, if you're training a dog, if you're governing yourself. You need to have compassion. You need to have the soft qualities. But you need to have discipline. And you have to say enough is enough at times. And these are cities... Seattle, San Francisco, um, increasingly San Diego, uh, you know, uh, and there are quite a few. Portland is heading, Portland is heading in this direction at 100 miles per hour, and it's another wonderful, wonderful city. Um, if if all you have is compassion and you lack discipline, you end up with an untenable situation where there are no rules, there is chaos, there is ugliness, there is pain, and listen. You know, as Winston Churchill famously said, if you're 20 and not a liberal, you have no heart. And if you're 40 and not conservative, you have no brain. We absolutely need compassion. But if you give away discipline, you're looking for disaster. And I think a lot of progressive people don't are not comfortable with doing those things that make you feel bad, but they have to be done. 
whether it's punishing a child or denying them dessert or telling them, no, you have to do your homework. I'm not having to do it. That that hurts your heart when you do it as a parent. But parents who can't do that fail, and they fail their children. Here's a Leo. It doesn't matter from where because I'm sure it's the same in a whole bunch of different places. I arrested one homeless guy 11 times in four to five months for trespassing, camping at the same bank. Arrested for drugs, indecent exposure, violent crimes, trespassing, much more. And that was just my shift. 11 times, same person, four to five. Just kept going back. So what's the point, obviously? You ever seen one of those parents, Jimmy, stop it. Jimmy, stop it, or or you're going to get it. Jimmy, stop it. Jimmy learns in the blink of an eye. He doesn't have to stop it because his parents not going to do anything. Same here. Same with this situation. All compassion and no discipline equals chaos, ugliness, and pain. Sorry, it's just true. And and listen, all discipline and no compassion yields a nightmare as well. Oh, it's coming up in your news, Marshal. West Virginia going after alleged Catholic Church pedophile cover-ups in a truly innovative way. We've got new revelations about the Boeing Max problems, and New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft offered a deal in the prostitution bus. And I didn't know they offered this deal. I guess it's the way it's usually handled. What, the two-for-one deal at the rub and tug? (laughs) I knew about that deal. (laughs) You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. People know who Wendy Williams is. I have no concept of like I. I think nobody watches these daytime TV shows. Then you find out Judge Judy makes ninety million dollars a year, or right. whatever. So right, obviously a lot of people do. Wendy Williams has got one of those daytime TV shows. She announced yesterday she's living in a sober house. Oh my! And has she's been the, for some in, time. The enormous bosomed, multiply surgically altered faced. <laughs> She practically looks like Jacko at this point. I mean, she's getting crazy looking. Yeah, she got way too much work done. Yeah. But she she hosts a daytime gab show, I guess. She took on Howard Stern the other day, and Howard Stern blasted her, called her all kinds of terrible names. Oh, really? Yeah. But uh, she, yeah, she's been of living in this. sorts? I mean, like racial epithets, or she's an idiot, or got too much work done, or what was the... Uh... Talentless B, mostly. Oh. Oh, uh, while she was on the show? No. Oh, I'm no, sorry. No. On okay. his show. I misunderstood. I thought she... Okay. But, uh, yeah. So, a lot of people who seem like they're unhinged, turns out you learn about their personal life. and Not they hinged. Are. No there, hinges. No hinges there. Let's uh, get the news now with Marsha Phillips. West Virginia's Attorney General has filed a lawsuit that took the innovative approach of using consumer protection law in the Catholic Church's child sex abuse scandal. Charging the local Catholic diocese and now retired bishop didn't protect children from pedophile priests and violated consumer protection laws by not telling parents they'd employed abusers. I agree this is innovative. Uh, As a guy who almost went to law school, I want to explain one thing. Just because of the peculiarities of Arkansas law, their attorney general can't file charges that are specific to various jurisdictions. And so there will be local charges as well. But the state saw an opportunity to not go through criminal means but file a civil suit. And that's that's what's so interesting about this. Yeah, it's believed to be the first time this approach has been used against the church in the scandal. The Attorney General Patrick Morrissey claims in his suit former Bishop uh, Michael Bransford and the Wheeling Charleston Diocese intentionally hid the information about the priest from parents and in doing so, quote, 
caused the purchasers of their educational and recreational services to buy inherently dangerous services for their children for many decades. Yeah, schools and summer camps yes. and the rest of it. You were selling something dangerous without disclosing it. So. There also has been a, hesit- a hesitancy to treat the Catholic Church like you would anything else when it comes to this sort of stuff for decades, maybe centuries. With a lot of your big Catholic cities like Boston or whatever, where all the cops are Catholic and, you right. know, that sort of thing. Where it's just, you know, you, you let them handle it or you don't want a bad look for the church or whatever. <laughs> Unbalanced, they do good. So right. let's not go crazy right. here. Right. Department of Transportation announcing their watchdog agency is going to be opening up an investigation of how the FAA certified the Boeing jet involved in two recent crashes. And now the famous pilot from the Miracle on the Hudson is calling out the FAA, saying the agency and the aviation industry are too cozy. Captain Sully Sullenberger writing an op-ed saying our credibility as leaders in aviation is being damaged. In too many cases, FAA employees who rightly called for stricter compliance were overruled by FAA management, often under corporate or political pressure. Wow. Wow. That is not good. Canada. Canada. We've always had reciprocal certification with Canada. Yes. And Canada said, we can't count on you people anymore. Wow. You know, you tell us planes are safe, you have no idea what you're talking about. Boy, uh, the uh, Seattle region coming in for a kicking this morning. Yep. Reuters, by the way, reporting the pilots of the crash Lion Air Boeing 737 MAX were scouring a handbook as they struggled to understand why the jet was diving, but they ran out of time before it hit the water. Did you hear about the... The one that got saved the day before, and then the following day it crashed. So there was oh boy, they, yeah. they had a, an extra pilot in the cockpit. I guess he was just kind of jumped along for Who the ride. Knew what he was doing? What was going on? He figured out there was something with the sensor. He managed to disable the sensor and save the plane. Right. That, All you have to do wow. is disengage the autopilot function, right. but the pilots didn't react quickly enough or freaked out or whatever. Right. That plane was one of the ones that crashed, and it crashed, I believe, the following day. Jeez, that, yeah. uh, you find but out it's you're on safe. The... It's safe. Well, yeah, that's the technical thing. And then you've got the, you know, mystery of life, God, all that sort of stuff. You find out you were on the flight before. Yeah. Jeez, that's Ooh. just random luck, man. You were doomed. You know, yeah, my parents were on the flight that the next day crashed and was one of the greatest death tolls in aviation history wow. at the time. Um, that same flight. And I, you know, I haven't stopped thinking about it much since. It's just crazy. Of course, as always, it's more dangerous to drive than fly. By far. We have reports today that the prosecutors in Florida are going to drop the prostitution charges against New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft, but with some conditions. The prosecutors say they'll dismiss the solicited, uh, solicitation charges against The condition Kraft. is you got to put in a good word for the cops with old Madam Wong there. And, uh, <laughs> see if we can get that 20% off you got. Huh? Oh, wow. Hey, being a cop stressful. <laughs> prosecutors say the charges against Kraft and the other men charged will be dropped if they admit they would have been proven guilty at trial. On top of that... The defendants would have to take a screening for sexually transmitted diseases. All right. All right. Complete an educational course on prostitution. Oh, oh, gotcha. That oh, Prostitution. I didn't realize that's what was happening here. No, it's a class about how grim and sickening it is. Yeah. The underbelly. Um, That first part, though, so I didn't know until I was reading about it yesterday. Yeah. That's a common thing. And I... 
So they'll say, all right, we're going to drop the charges, but you have to admit, you have to sign this paper that says, I would have been found guilty because I did this. That seems a little odd, constitutionally speaking. Well, first of all, if you're not a high-profile person, what kind of damage is that at all? Nobody would even know what happened. If you plead guilty, we won't try you at all. What? Is that common, or is it only common with people with two to three commas in their net worth? I I, I wonder how liberally that... Good question. That's I have no idea. Liberal. Listen to the liberal. <laughs> no, I, I, you like I think rich it's people getting special treatment. No, I think <laughs> it's it's big on prostitution stings. But yeah. because everybody agrees, um, if the system spent a hundred dollars trying you, that would be stupid, and the system would spend many, many, many thousands of right. dollars trying these guys who got robin tugs. But isn't it a no penalty then? I mean, unless you're high profile, because if he signs that, it'll be a front page national inquire sort of story right. or new york post story the but teeth if, if you're just an average person and you sign it okay fine i sign i would have been guilty big deal so it's not on my record i don't have anything the teeth is that if you get caught again then we bring the hammer down so presumably they right. discourage johns from doing it the right. other problem with it is um if you're innocent what if you actually didn't do it if i'm if i'm robert Kraft and i didn't do it i don't does anybody think he didn't do it they got video I, I believe that they have video. Here's my defense. Your Honor, we're very much in love. <laughs> Me and Miss... Uh, I was visiting my girlfriend at work. And, and Mrs. I, X, is, uh, she's, uh, she's incredibly dear to me. I look into her eyes, I, I, I see our future. So you bought your wife a nice ring or a fur coat? Right. I, I just give cash. Maybe it's crass. Right. right. But uh, I give my girlfriend cash. I throw you- an extra 20. <laughs> Act devastated on the stand when they explain to you, no, she's actually a professional woman of pleasure. Oh she's my God! Wh- she's what? what? She was going to be the mother of my children. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! I'm going to need a minute, Your Honor. <laughs> exactly. That would be my brilliant defense. Has, has anybody ever done that? Yeah. Why wouldn't that oh, work? Oh, here it is. Here We're it is. Deeply, deeply in love, yeah. Your Honor. You can say whatever you want. I, I would like to say something. Then you get on your knee. And you open the little box, and you say, Ms. X, would you be my wife? Oh, you give your wife a dozen roses, I give her the cash. Right. And again, it's crass. Right. She can pick her own flowers Is out that way. Is being crass a crime? Right. The whole system's on trial. We were overcome with passion. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. She's saving herself for our wedding night. So I said, well, how about a little relief, you know, manually? Now, uh, that's pretty good even for that sort of system situation. But if you got one of those, if people are doing it on the higher level, like uh, what's the New York attorney general got brought down? Hope oh, Spitzer. Right. Elliot Spitzer. Yeah. Um, I would think in one of those situations, high end call girl, that sort of thing, you could easily say, no, we're, we're an item. Right. I'm in love. I'm not comfortable with how she's been making her living, but she's a fascinating woman, Your Honor. I I can't stand to be away from her for a minute. I'm surprised nobody's ever tried that. Yeah, well, I don't know. There is, you know, the prosecution gets to present evidence, too. So. She, does, she doesn't speak English. How do you two talk to each other? With our eyes and our gentle touches. She talks to you with your hands. Most communication is nonverbal, you idiot. What are you, a racist? <laughs> I'm telling you, I should have been a defense attorney. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be like Saul. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, better call Joe. Oh, yeah. 
So you got a bunch of candidates running for president want to do away with the electrical... Electrical... You owe us lunch. Uh, that's it. He has to buy that's lunch. It. That's yeah. rule. Yes. We got it on the air. Yeah. That means it's official. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The Electoral College and lower the voting age. Man, that would change things overnight. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. President Trump today accused Facebook, Google, and Twitter of being, quote, on the side of the radical left Democrats. He then added, I've also been really striking out on Tinder. (laughs) An unfortunate uh, story there, and I'll tell you why, in my opinion. Oh, and we're going to get to our major discussion of the Electoral College and 16-year-olds voting uh, in a few minutes. One of those is a serious conversation. The other one's not, I think. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. They both have their n- not serious aspects to them, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. One's, one's like grown-ups can disagree. The other one's just an absurdity. Right. <laughs> so the, the Devin Nunes thing is unfortunate because... There is absolutely an issue with social media platforms censoring conservative thought and conservative speech and, and people and organizations. Because you got a bunch of 20-something way lefties deciding what's okay and what's not, and they make mistakes all the time, and it's, it's, it sucks. It's bad. On the other hand, Devin Nunes suing Twitter for a quarter of a billion dollars over the Devin Nunes cow account on Twitter is hilariously dumb. What Especially I, as a public figure and that parodies free that that parody is included under free speech and the rest of it. I just what I'd like to see come out of that though is if it it forces Twitter or anybody else to ex, to ex, expose how they make some of these decisions, right? Because it looks to a lot of people like they stifle some conservative stuff. And, and you, elevate some liberal stuff. If you talk to the left and they talk about censoring conservatives, they'll say, yeah, it's not nearly enough. Right? Okay. They, they, right. They, it's, it's hate speech. It's, it's, it's one of the rare things where each side of the issue doesn't think Twitter's doing a good job uh, yeah. of monitoring their content. And Devin right. Nunes, is, is his, he, he says, look, if you're a publisher, you got to admit you're a publisher and then deal with you know everything that goes along with that. Right, right. Um. These are really interesting and important issues, but he overreached, and the whole Devin Nunes cow account situation has turned the whole thing into a joke. That's what I'm saying. It was poorly crafted. He overreached. It's just dumb. The Devin Nunes cow fake account has gone from something like 7,200 followers to 400,000 and rising in a big hurry. (laughs) It's his cow saying critical things about him on Twitter, you see. (laughs) Which is surprising. <laughs> and he cited that as part of the say. It's just silly. I thought you were on my side. I thought you had my back, you say to your cow. You regularly touch my nipples without consent. You ever thought about that, Devin? <laughs> oh, my God. So, representing the cow. Uh, we talked about snowplow parents yesterday. The increasing phenomenon of parents who not only hover above their children like helicopters, but they try to remove all impediments to their child. They're occasionally referred to as lawnmower parents as well. With the amazing examples of parents who 
call their kids as adults to make sure they're up in time to make it to class as a 21-year-old in college. Right. Or to make it to work or what have you. Oh, my God. A lot of great responses. Got this. You know what? I'll say it's anonymous. Um, uh, Here in New Jersey, they also call snowplow parents, lawnmower parents, parents, making an obstacle-free path ahead. Uh, My husband is a veep at a large company. I'm going to keep it vague. Um, as a rule, he does not hire from the Ivy League for this exact problem. The last Ivy League candidate was in his early 20s. Um, that, that math doesn't work. He had to be in his mid-20s. But anyway, and I'll explain why. The father felt my husband was taking too long to decide on his son and called to see about the holdup. He told him he could not hire him because now I'll have to deal with your son and you. See the problem? You're not helping him. The East Coast is insane. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So then she wrote back and pointed out the guy in question was an MD, had eight years of college and four years of residency, and his daddy was still calling around to say, what's the deal with the interview process here? Whew. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Who, the, would be, who, who else would be horrified if their mom or dad called their boss? Oh, oh my God. My wife is a teacher at a highly ranked uh, San Francisco South Bay Public High School. Every day in the office, there are dozens of fast food lunches that the parents bring in for their kids. Heaven forbid the kids should eat from the cafeteria or brown bagot. I say let them go hungry for a day. Builds fortitude and appreciation for calories. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Ted. Uh, KSTVH keeps slinging the verbal hash. Uh, loved your conversation about snowplow parents, writes uh, Chris from Michigan. I'm 37 years old. About 11 years ago, I had a 20-year-old intern working for me. At one point, I asked them, uh, all the interns, to drive to an event we were doing. This 20-year-old's dad was not happy with them driving for this event. Instead of the two of them working it out and the intern coming to me as an adult, having an adult conversation about it, they came and told me their dad wanted to call me and talk to me about it. I told him, you're an adult. I don't answer to your dad. You two work it out, and you come and tell me what you feel comfortable with doing as an adult. I will not speak to your dad. Ever since then, I've noticed this trend growing, but have reflected it to others who work with college-age kids and received universal agreement that this is now a thing. Uh, Thanks for continuing to talk about things very few people in the popular media want to talk about and name honestly. You're welcome. I didn't know this was happening. You learn something every day. I didn't know there was a parent in America who is helping their 20-something get out of bed on time for work. Yeah, isn't that something? But it's not. It, there is one, and it's fairly common. Steve from Chico, California. One of the issues... Uh, oh, it's Confessions of a Snowplow Parent. One of the issues is how easy it is to get information on your child that was not available in the past. Now I can check my child's grades every day. No need to wait for a progress report or a report card. I can track their location at any time. I can get a list of everything they watch on YouTube and Netflix. I can track the number of steps they have each day. You know what? That is a temptation for parents. God, God, I, I, I don't know what it's like to have a grown-up kid, but I've got to, uh, I've got to find a way to not do that. It sounds miserable to me on multiple levels. It's terrible for the kid, and it's terrible for me. I don't want to live my whole life oh, no, worrying no about kidding. the micromanagement of another adult's life. Right. What a horrible fate. Oh, it's terrible. Listen, those of us, and there are quite a few of us, who have kids who have certain special needs, um, you don't want that. You want them to be independent. Of course, if I have to tell you that, there's a problem. I love this, though. Steve wrote, I'm an assistant scoutmaster in Boy Scouts, and as adult leaders, we try to f- provide a safe place to fail. That's in quotes. 
we're going to let them fail, not to the point of someone getting hurt, but one of the great things about Boy Scouts is it is boy-led. The boys plan the campout from the location to food and gear. We've had campouts where the boys plan to have canned chili for dinner, but didn't bring a can opener. We've had campouts awesome. with, without enough tents, no gas for the stove, flashlights without batteries, etc. That's fantastic. And the boys figure We're it out. We're all eaten by bears. As, ad- <laughs> <laughs> As adult leaders, we tell the boys to figure it out. Needless to say, they haven't forgotten a can, a can opener on the camp out since. Those That's that precisely didn't starve the point. <laughs> Shut up. This is that the is key. Awesome. It is awesome. You forget the can opener once. And not, and it's not just about can openers. For those of you Sometimes incapable, you, need a bottle of, opener. It, it, <laughs> you always, it, although I've often said on the golf course, you got a beer. Turns out to be a bottle beer, and somebody would go, oh, "We don't have a bottle opener." And you say, child, any man amateurs. who can't get into a beer doesn't deserve that beer. Doesn't want it bad enough. Anyway, it's not about can openers. The kid realizes, okay, we need to systematically go through what we're going to need and make sure we have it. We don't want to repeat of the can opener thing. And that applies then to every bit of preparation. That is what you are stealing from your child if you snowplow for them. Boy, in a lesson that would change their lives. Exactly. That's what childhood is. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.